leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. takes both a personal toll on individuals who suffer from it and an economic toll on society more broadly. Though there's a wide range of drugs available to treat pain, it's a problem that is still not well addressed. The need for new pain therapies has become even more acute as the problem of opioid addiction has grown. We spoke to Kerry Brady, founder and chief business officer of Centrexion Therapeutics, which is developing a pipeline of non-opioid pain drugs. Brady discussed the problem with today's existing therapies, how the company is using big data in its pursuit of new drugs, and its strategy for building out its pipeline. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Danny, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you. We're going to talk about pain, your company Centrexion's efforts to develop non-opioid drugs to address the problem, and why it is such a big problem. Let's start with pain itself. How, how big a market is it today from an economic point of view? How big of a problem is it? Well, it's certainly a large problem and it's a growing problem as well. You know, the size of the problem is uh, such that you know, recently our federal government uh, took the step to you know, institute a review both by uh, the Institute of Medicine report and then followed that on with the National Pain Strategy. And the results of that inquiry really were quite stunning, even to folks like myself who've been working in the new pain drug area for some time. Uh, in the U.S., chronic pain uh, affects over 100 million people. You know, that's nearly one in three people. Um, and I think all of us from our personal experience probably know somebody in our lives who suffers from you know, chronic pain, be it osteoarthritis or something like that. And this takes a big toll on our nation with regards to the economic impact. So the estimates from these reports were, uh, in the U.S. alone, there's around about $600 billion annual economic impact uh, as a result of this problem, not only the cost of treating it, but also the other onslow costs from people um, not being able to, for example, work or um for having to you know, sell and move away from their homes, not being able to participate in their lives uh, fully. So it, it's a very large and growing problem because a lot of chronic pain conditions are a result of things that, you know, as a population, we're aging. And so more people are getting uh, osteoarthritis. We've also got uh, the ability to treat cancer and make great progress there. But... Uh, 
chronic cancer pain is a big problem, and some of the agents that we're able to use to halt the cancer can actually produce uh, chronic pain. How about in terms of the, the personal toll? What are the, the consequences of, of chronic pain for, for a patient in terms of function? Well, um, there's some very important um, problems uh, that, that patients suffering from chronic pain suffer. So in addition to the things that I just mentioned, for example, having to give up work because they can no longer stand or move properly, um, having to move away from their home, Losing the ability to be mobile, you know, having to get out of services, they can't go shopping, uh, for example. And on the medical side, uh, chronic pain actually has other um, impacts on patients. For example, not being able to move and to exercise because you're in chronic pain leads to a deterioration in muscle tone and also um, gives rise to other problems such as cardiovascular and metabolic problems as well. Very interestingly, some of the recent research in uh, MRI scanning, for example, shows that there are very uh, definitive changes, in fact, in the brain uh, as a result of patients being in chronic pain. There's a broad arsenal of drugs that exist today to treat pain from, from non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to, to opioids. What's the problem with pain drugs as they exist today? Well, uh, for a status, it's not a broad outcome, unfortunately. There's a relatively narrow range of product types available to treat pain. You mentioned non-steroidals and anti-inflammatories. They're the two main uh, workhorses. We have, in addition to that, uh, some of the, we call them adjuvant therapies, so products uh, such as uh, duloxetine and uh, pregabalin, which um, have provided some important advances, particularly for types of neuropathic pain, but there's not a lot of those around, and then they come to opioids. Beyond that, there's not a lot. Um, and although these drugs um, have been uh, important and helpful improvements, there are still a large group of patients for whom these drugs are not able to provide sufficient pain control. Um, also, uh, there's a lot of um, safety concerns about uh, a number of these products. Um, you know, opioids obviously is getting a lot of publicity at the moment. You know, uh, one of the things about opioids is they were never really truly uh, designed, if you like, to be used in chronic pain. They're excellent for short-term pain control. But when we get into longer-term use, then we start to have problems of not only patients becoming adapted to it and having to get higher doses to control their pain, but also um, addiction, unfortunately, there are gastrointestinal problems, and then the other societal problems that we see with, you know, abuse and diversion and um, a number of other problems. So, in fact, there's a large and growing need for better treatments uh, to this product. And to be honest, there's not a great big pipeline of new products being developed. Centrexion is developing a, a pipeline of pain medications. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration recently awarded fast-track designation to your lead candidate, CNTX4975, which is an experimental treatment for Morton's neuroma. What is Morton's neuroma? How common is it? And how is it treated today? Sure. So Morton's neuroma is a form of 
nerve damage caused by compression of the nerve that supplies the, the toes in the foot. So the nerve that does that has to travel through the bones and the metatarsal joints there. So what happens when there's ongoing compression of that nerve and an insult to that nerve, for example, um, wearing uh, narrow high-heeled shoes or um, a lot of athletes, for example, long-distance runners, you can imagine there's a lot of pressure pounding down on the forefoot area. This causes damage to that nerve, and that nerve swells stronger in the aroma and starts sending out uh, these pain signals whenever the patient uh, tries to take a step. So how common is it? it um, in these particular groups of patients, it can be relatively common. Um, in the group of uh, patients that we are looking to help with our new treatment, we, we estimate there's around about 150,000 of them. So it's orphan disease, but it's a relatively sort of larger uh, size orphan disease. And these are the patients who have not responded to the current treatment. And those current treatments, well, firstly, um, the obvious things to try are changing your footwear um, or putting orthotics in, but that often is not sufficient. And so the patient will then uh, start taking perhaps non-steroidals and anti-inflammatories. If they don't work, uh, their podiatrist or physician may give them a steroid shot. You don't want to use a steroid, particularly in an area like this, too often, so it can only be used at the most maybe twice a year. So uh, about 50% of these patients, in fact, who don't respond to the current standard of medical care, choose to go on to have a surgery called a neurectomy. And in that surgery, the actual, the whole nerve is cut out. Wow. And that um, has a number of uh, problems with it. Surgery, of course, which you would always like to avoid if you can. Um, but because the nerve is cut out, the area that was previously supplied by the nerve now becomes numb. And um, you can create another neuroma by cutting the nerve. And so the pain can return. This is not an ideal treatment. And so um, this is one of the reasons that the FDA gave uh, fast-track status uh, for this uh, new approach, a non-surgical approach, and a non-opioid uh, approach to treating this problem. So the the drug you're developing is is a derivative of a compound found in chili peppers. How does your drug work? What's understood about the mechanism of action? So the active agent in our product is transpepsin, which uh, in nature in chili peppers is the ingredient that gives us that spicy burning uh, approach. What we've done is We've uh, developed a synthetic, ultra-pure version of this transcapsaicin for injection. So the mechanism of how transcapsaicin uh, works is very well known. Uh, there's been a lot of work um, studying this mechanism of action. And it's a very different way of using a drug. So the way that it works is when capsaicin meets the V1 receptor, which is selectively expressed only on pain fibers. It has the um, channel open up. A lot of calcium flows into that, just the end of only the pain fiber, and it causes it to become inactivated. 
for a long period of time. So they can't transmit pain signals anymore. After a, we've seen up to about six months, it recovers. It'll start transmitting the pain signals again. And we then uh, give another dose. Another way of looking at it, we like to describe it as molecular neurosurgery. And this is uh, particularly important because our chief scientific officer, Dr. Jim Campbell, is a, a neurosurgeon, and he is the person who uh, did the original research at looking how we could use this transcaptation uh, to selectively take out just the pain fiber. And the, the drug is actually cleared from the body within 24 hours, but the effects last for months. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, how, how is that so? So if you think about it, we have the drug go in, it um, interacts with the tryptine-1 receptor, it causes this inactivation of the pain fiber, which is a physical effect of just the peripheral end of the pain fiber, and then it's cleared from the body. But the effect on the pain fiber lasts for months. And it takes that period of time for the pain fiber to recover, to regenerate, and then start sending pain signals again. And where are you in the clinic with this? What do we know about its safety and efficacy to date? So one thing that we as a, a company are very focused on in the products that we're developing is the safety profile of them. Because if we don't have a safe drug, no matter how effective it is, it's not going to be of use uh, to the patient. So uh, 4975 has shown itself to be an, a very safe drug. If you think about it, uh, it's in and out of the body in 24 hours. We inject it only into a particular pain site, and it has a very selective mechanism of action. And we know from the work that we've done to date, it's now being in uh, over a 1,000 patients, that it has a very, uh, uh, very strong safety profile. We've seen no serious adverse events uh, attributed to the drug, and it's very well tolerated. In fact, after we give uh, an injection of this for the treatment of Morton's neuromory infection, a number of the other indications were exploring. The plasma levels that you get after it diffuses out of the area, uh, for example, in the foreshore or in the knee, they're no higher than what you would have systemically after a really spicy Thai meal. And we know that people have had uh, capsaicin in a diet for thousands of years, and it is not been uh, a problem. Another product you have in development is a topical gel formulation of lidocaine. What do you see as the potential for this drug's market? What markets would you serve? Sure. So our product, the CNTX 2022, is a high-potency uh, topical gel. So we have 40%, 40% of lidocaine. And through clever formulation, um, we were able to get that not only high concentration that was soluble, but also stable. The really amazing thing about this is when we've tested this uh, in a clinic, we found that the uh, product actually forms a depot in skin and gives us a sustained release through the skin of the lidocaine, so it can take care of dampening down the pain signals from the local pain fibers. So what this means is, um, unlike uh, the existing product, for example, having to use a patch to get lidocaine into the skin, because lidocaine can be hard to get into the skin, we now have a gel that can be applied to a variety of body surfaces. 
So uh, curved surfaces, surfaces where a patch may have uh, difficulty adhering. And it opens it up uh, to the opportunity to be used in, for example, um, more superficial musculoskeletal pain and types of neuropathic pain, for example, painful diabetic neuropathy here. Most often they express in the toes and the feet, so you could spread the gel around there to deal with the pain. And also in forms of dermatological pain and itch uh, as well. So there's a fairly broad area that this product would potentially uh, address. And are, are there IP issues around this, or are you able to protect it with patents? It's very well protected. Uh, because it is a very novel uh, formulation and way of using this product, we have a portfolio of issued uh, patents, both in the U.S. and around the world. One of the things you're doing is bringing a, a sort of precision medicine approach to treating pain by harnessing big data to identify patients most likely to benefit from a given product. How has this shaped the clinical development of your drugs? So using big data is one of the cornerstones of our uh, approach to uh, developing new uh, pain drugs. And you know, the reason that we're very excited about using big data is we can mine the, the vast uh, body of literature that's out there across a, a whole wide variety of disciplines to get the latest and best information on our particular target that we're addressing with our new product. And this allows us to be more fully informed um, about choosing an indication to go for. You know, there are many different types of pain. Um, and um, if we can be smarter and more informed about how we take a particular product forward, we can give it the best chance of having a success and not being premature terminated because we chose the wrong indication. Earlier this month, this year, you acquired three other experimental analgesics from Beringer Engelheim. These all have different mechanisms of action and are either in the clinic or, or ready for filing to enter the clinic. Was this just opportunistic or did it reflect some broader vision of your pipeline? No, we have a very clear strategy for building our pipeline and for building our company. So we set out to search for additions to our pipeline that met some very strict criteria. And a couple of the criteria were there had to be products that were not opioid and not addictive or have, that have potential for abuse. They also had to be um, products that acted at novel, new and emerging targets in, our, in the pain area so that we weren't um, doing me too development there. And they had to have uh, data existing to show that they were not only active uh, in models of pain, but showed a very differentiated profile to what was available there. I, I should mention Saul Barrer, the former chairman and CEO of Celgene, is your chairman, and Jeff Kindler, the former CEO of Pfizer, is your CEO. Not, not your typical lineup for a development stage biopharmaceutical. How has having high visibility, well-known leadership affected the company's ability to raise money, make deals, or attract talent? Well, it's been extremely helpful. Um, I think more importantly, though, it's not just having the, the names in the lineup, but the fact that um, both uh, Saul and Jeff uh, have a very active role in the, the strategy uh, of the company, and Jeff in particular, 
in uh, running the company. So that is a really big benefit for a company like ours, which is you know, early in the stage of development. And we have a vision of building a pain powerhouse. So Saul had expressed that if I want to build the salting of pain here. And so, you know, we're tackling a, a very big and growing problem that's being highlighted now, for example, with the opioid uh, epidemic. And as we talked about at the start of our conversation, this chronic pain uh, problem affects over 100 million people who don't have the treatment uh, to really deal with this well at the moment. And we need to be able to, you know, take uh, an aggressive step in uh, taking on this problem. So with the guidance and leadership from Saul and Jeff, we feel that we're in a very good position to be successful. Carrie Brady, founder and chief business officer of Centrexion Therapeutics. Carrie, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.